The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I have my welcome to Frank's. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here, and, and we are ready to hear the word of God. We've heard it sung, we've heard it read, and now we're ready to hear it preached. Love, love hearing the children, but my seat, I think maybe the best to watch parents and grandparents and the song leaders. Uh, you should sit here sometime. Uh, it's wonderful to see the joy on our faces watching the next generation sing the Bible and what's true. Uh, before, we, before I pray, I want to just speak to the familiarity of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's often translated in modern times as, if you see someone go in a ditch, help him. Dale Ralph Davis notes, it's easy to think that this story is mainly promoting Boy Scout philanthropy. Just do a good turn. And that could be an interpretation if you start at verse 30 with the parable. But we must and we will begin with verse 25 because this is a part of a dialogue, questions and answers. And also in the context of last week, verse 21, when Jesus rejoices, remember what he rejoices. He says, I'm glad that you have not revealed these things to the wise and learned. I believe the religious law expert represents that kind of person. And this parable and this dialogue stands to reveal all of our hearts. So let me pray. Father, we do come. We've heard it sung. We've 
heard it read. Now as we prepare to hear it preached, we ask for the Holy Spirit to come among us and take the word that goes forth and plant it in soft hearts that you soften so that it yields fruit where there is need of a new heart. We pray you would give that through the preaching of your word. Lord, we want to see Jesus and him only, so we ask you to make that true in Christ's name. Amen. Well, once again, a reminder, this is the dialogue. This parable involves four questions and four replies, but it is not in an orderly manner, for Jesus is the wise teacher who likes to answer questions with questions and questions with stories. But eventually, all the questions that everyone asks will be answered in this dialogue. If we do not pay attention to that structure, we could misinterpret this parable. So the first part that we'll start with is in verse 25, the question that preoccupies the religious. We say the religious there because this man's a lawyer, it says, but he's a religious lawyer, a religious law expert. And Luke says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Typically in the Middle Eastern culture, the teacher sat, the student stood, that was a sign of respect. And he appears to be respectful as he stands, but we understand it's just an appearance only. He's there to trick Jesus. He's there to trap him. And he's coming with some really bad questions. The question that preoccupies the religious is what he asks in verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That question is deeply flawed and very revealing. What can anyone do to inherit anything? Inheritance by its very nature is a gift from one to another. Inheritance is not payment for what is earned. It is not a bill for services rendered. This man comes, as we know in verse 29, with a hopeless motivation. He is seeking to justify himself. And that's what religious people do. They ask questions like, what must I do to inherit eternal life, earn your favor? And so I say he's coming with hopelessness because any human that relies on works as the way to eternal life is not one who receives the inheritance of eternal life, but inherits curse. Galatians 3.10 says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. The only inheritance this man stands to gain with this sort of thinking is curse, not life. The man comes to Jesus curious but conspiring. And the warning of this entire dialogue for all of us is the only way to come for him with hope for eternal life is desperately. Desperately. After he asks the question, there's an answer. And the answer that should convict actually emboldens the religious man. He asks, teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers with a question. Paraphrased, what does the Bible say? Jesus loves to ask us that question. He also likes to say, how do you read your Bible? What is written in the law and how do you read it? Because Oftentimes we can misinterpret it or we'll have selective parts we read. And so he asked him a question, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does the Bible say? And the guy gets an A. Really good answer. Verse 27, 
you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So he answers Jesus' question. And now Jesus will answer his original question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 28, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus says, you're right. You got it right, but you got it wrong. Because Jesus is not here commenting that there is a possibility for a sinner to completely, perfectly obey the law. No, he's saying it's a necessity for every human being that will stand before a holy God. And that answer that should have convicted him actually emboldens him so that, as, as it were, in effect, he says, so you're saying there's a chance. The right response to what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer given is perfect obedience to the law to love your, the Lord your God and to love your neighbors yourself. The right response to that is, woe is me, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, O God. It is a standard I cannot touch. But he doesn't even blink. He just goes to a follow-up question about specificity. Because he believes, here's what religious people believe. If you can just give me some clarification and specification, I can do it, Jesus. We are unbothered often in our religiosity by the true demands of the law. Verses 27 and 28, that is not good news for a sinner. And that answer that should have convicted actually emboldens him to where he asked another question in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? His follow-up is alarming. He doesn't ask one question about loving the Lord your God. He's, there's a sense to which I got that down. I just need some specificity on the neighbor part because, like I, like I said, I think I can do this. And, and many rabbis of that day, if they were asked by a religious law expert questions about the law, what they would do is their answer would lower the law or put limits on the law so it became attainable, doable. And Jesus is not that sort of rabbi. Self-justifiers, notice in verse 27, he was desiring to justify himself. Self-justifiers ignore the perfect standard and seek a standard that will accommodate and elevate themselves. You see, the word justify means to be saved, to be given the status of one whom God accepts based on your standing. And so this man believes there's something he could do to justify himself before a holy God. He just needs a little more detail. You know we're like him. We come to Jesus and we like to ask him for specificity and clarification on law keeping because we really don't want to deal with our hearts. We ask Jesus questions like, how much do I really have to give? Could you give me a number? And then I might can do it. Even related to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus, if you just tell me exactly what I should do every time I see a poor and needy person on the street or at a stoplight, I think I could do it. 
if you just said keep gift cards in your car and only give out three a week hey i got you jesus i'll follow you and jesus doesn't do that jesus doesn't answer the cry for specification and clarification from religious people jesus refuses that why because he's after the heart and that's what this text shows And in response to the question, he tells a story. And it's a story that reveals the condition of the religious and the heart of Jesus. And that story begins in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This story takes place on the Jericho Road. I had the privilege of seeing it from a height above this summer. It is a narrow, treacherous, haunting desert road in mountainous terrain. This is not a six-lane highway. It was a dangerous road. It was actually known as the Bloody Way. Robbers set themselves on the other side of twists and turns and, and would take people out, and they never saw it coming. Imagine walking through a dark alley in the worst part of a modern city, add more darkness and wild animals, and you're on the road to Jericho. Further, it was a treacherous road. Jericho is 17 miles from Jerusalem. Jericho sits 1,000 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is at 3,000 feet above sea level. That's 4,000 feet of change in 17 miles. Let me give you perspective. Go Lookout Mountain to Ultawa. That's 17 miles. And imagine 4,000 feet of change with wild animals, darkness, and robbers. And you've landed on the Jericho Road. What happens on that road is there's an unidentified victim, and I think that's really important. Many have presumed that it's a Jewish person. The text, Jesus does not say that. It says simply that there was a man going down and he fell among robbers. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead, which means half dead means he looked dead. He's stripped, he's beaten, he's left for nothing. It's important that you notice that the victim is the only character in the story whose ethnicity or race is unsaid. Why? Because he's a human. And that's the point. You see, three things would identify one's ethnicity. Language, dress, and accent. In that time, that was what gave you away. He can't give you any of those. He's unconscious, he's naked, and stripped down. And the fact that there is no way to be sure of his ethnic identity right away shows that there are no ethnic limits to mercy. But it's an understanding of humanity. And so we meet the priest. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, meaning he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. You don't go down to Jerusalem. You always go up. So he's going down that road, leaving Jerusalem. We don't know much more than that he passes by, but culturally and religiously, the hearers would have made some assumptions about a priest. You see, the priest was on his way to Jericho from Jerusalem. Jericho was the home of many priests. They lived there. 
And they would travel to Jerusalem for a two-week temple service. And then they would return home. It's very likely he's leaving two weeks of work. He wants to get home. Now he comes up on a man who was bloody and possibly dead. And he is faced with some real difficulties. Number one, if he touches the man, he becomes ceremonially unclean and will have to go back to Jerusalem to complete the rituals for one week. That has to be in his head. I am not about to be inconvenienced and be contaminated by a stranger. Further, he goes at great length to avoid the man in the road. Now, like I said, it's not a six-lane highway. It's a narrow road with a cliff going down and rocks going up. He had to do some real work to pass by on the other side because he would have known the religious law that said you could become unclean if so much as your shadow touched his body. And on a very narrow, rocky road, that was a challenge, but he did it. He passed by on the other side. And in his passing by, he preserved his cleanliness, but he disobeyed God. And don't we do that often? Try to preserve our cleanliness, but often we miss obeying God in that. Then a Levite comes. This is a pretty typical way of telling a story when you're trying to show the, the clerics, the clergy, the, the religious uh, workers, when you're trying to show something they're doing bad, you would tell a story like this. A priest, a Levite, and a layperson. Because the layperson would show what the religious elite should be doing. That was a very typical way of telling stories to correct the religious who worked at the temple. And so you meet a Levite, of course. It's like a common joke, right? Priest, Levite, layperson. The Levite also passes by. We're not told why. And then in verse 33, it would have been explosive. You're waiting on the lay Jew. And you read in verse 33, a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans. You remember in Luke 9 a few weeks ago when they were going from, uh, they were going down to Jerusalem, they went through Samaria and the people didn't welcome them, their response, let's incinerate the whole town. This is not a favorable turn in the story for Jewish people, much less religious law experts. And you meet this compassionate, generous Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The one he hates, the religious law expert, the one you hate, is doing the right thing. Verse 34, he went and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He, the Samaritan risked his personal safety. If there's a half-dead man in the road, then that means robbers could be nearby. Why stop there? Keep going. He risked his personal safety. He messes up his own schedule. To put him on the, to, for transport, whether that was an animal, his own animal, he, he had to get bloody to pick him up and put him there. Now he's contaminated. He's using all of his resources to help the wounded man. Oil, wine, a cloth, a riding animal, his time, his energy, his money. He is willing to risk at great cost to show compassion and generosity. He's not asking for specification. He's not asking for clarification. He is compassionate. 
Further, it says, he went to him, bound him up, and then verse 35, the next day, or he brought him to an inn, took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. You would think in this story that a Samaritan has no desire to go into a Jewish town of Jericho with a half-dead, unclean Samaritan on the back of his animal. Just back the truck up and drop him at the line. But he doesn't. He goes into the innkeeper, who were notoriously untrustworthy, because you know what they would do? If someone didn't pay their debts, they had the right to sell that person into slavery. And so he goes the full length. He gives enough money that would have supplied care and food for him for one, maybe two weeks. And then he says, and send the rest of the bill to me, knowing he could get be a victim of extortion. But he wanted to see the full and final rescue of this man. And so he goes at great cost to himself to heal the half-dead bloody man. And it's from that, Jesus ask his final question he says which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers don't forget he's answering his original question who's my neighbor and with Jesus question he says you've got it wrong it's not who is my neighbor but who am I to become a neighbor to that's the question not who is my neighbor who was the neighbor here that's the right question. Jesus says anyone in need, regardless of language, race, or ethnicity. And with this parable and with this question, he unmasked the heart of the religious law expert that just wants clarification and limits in order to not deal with his heart. Essentially, Jesus says what Dale Ralph Davis says, if loving your neighbor as yourself has anything to do with life eternal, it is clear, Jesus was saying to him, that you don't have life, for you do not love. He's unmasking him. And so Jesus, having answered his question, who is my neighbor, with a question, ends and says, or the, the man answers and says, the one who showed mercy. You notice he didn't even say the Samaritan. His heart has been unmasked, but he is unchanged. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. We don't know if he does. We don't know if he can. There's an unanswered question of the Samaritan. Why did the Samaritan stop? Why was his response different than the priest and the Levite? Well, I think because his actions revealed his heart. You see, Jesus uses the story of the Good Samaritan to reveal religious people's defective hearts and their unwillingness to look there. That's the real point. He seeks to justify himself, but listen, no one who is a self-justifier can love like the Samaritan. You have no power. All you have is limits a desire for a few clarifying questions. You can't love extravagantly like this. Jesus paints a portrait of the lawyer with the priest and the Levite, saying, religious expert, it is not fresh knowledge or answers to your questions that you need. You need a new heart. 
How, how will we ever love like this? Well, we need hearts that are freed from self-justification if we're to love compassionately and costly risk to those in need. And I got good news. There is one who gives us the gift of his inheritance and the gift of his perfect righteousness by grace through faith, and he is the better good Samaritan. His name is Jesus. He left heaven and moved into our neighborhood called the world because he saw the incredible need that people were sinners and lost, dying, wounded, and he stopped. He didn't pass by. He went to the cross a far higher cost than paying off an innkeeper. He satisfied the wrath of God and paid what? The ransom for many. Now, if that good Samaritan and that better neighbor takes over your heart, you'll stop asking questions. You'll live out of that. You'll live out of that extravagance and that compassion and that sacrifice because your heart's changed. For as Thomas Cranmer says, for what the heart wants, the mind justifies and the will chooses. We don't need clarifications. We need our hearts captivated by the better good Samaritan, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we do need that. We can't change our own hearts. What would it look like if we were a people that didn't always have clarifying questions to elevate ourselves, to accommodate us, but if we really were captivated by this Jesus, this better good Samaritan, what kind of neighbors would we be? What kind of fellow workers would we be? What kind of relationships would we have? What would our city look like? We're scared, though, because to avoid the limits is to lose control. And we're asking you to take over our hearts so that many around us in need experience what the Good Samaritan did. We pray you'll feed us at this table and help our hearts to such an end. In Christ's name, amen.